Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Asked by signs if they had gold or silver. They replied that they had none, but that if he would give them one of his men, they would show him where it was to be found. One of the soldiers boldly offered himself for the venture and embarked with them. As, however, he failed to return according to agreement, Bottigny on the next day followed ten leagues farther up the stream, and at length had the good luck to see him approaching in a canoe. He brought little or no gold, but reported that he had heard of a certain chief named Myra, marvelously rich, who lived three days' journey up the river, and with these welcome tidings, Ottigny went back to Fort Caroline. A fortnight later, an officer named Vasseur went up the river to pursue the adventure. The fever for gold had seized upon the French. As the villages of the Timagoas lay between them and the imagined treasures, they shrank from a quarrel and Laudonniere repented already of his promised alliance with Satoriona. Vasseur was two days' sail from the fort when two Indians hailed him from the shore, inviting him to their dwellings. He accepted their guidance, and presently saw before him the cornfields and palisades of an Indian town. He and his followers were led through the wondering crowd to the lodge of Molua, the chief seated in the place of honor and plentifully regaled with fish and bread. The repast over, Malua made a speech. He told him that he was one of the forty vassal chiefs of the great Otina, lord of all the Timagoas, whose warriors wore armor of gold and silver plate. He told them, too, of Potanu, his enemy, a man cruel in war and of the two kings of the distant Appalachian mountains, Onathiaqua and Hustaqua, great lords and abounding in riches. While thus, with earnest pantomime and broken words, the chief discoursed with his guests, Vasseur, intent and eager, strove to follow his meaning, and no sooner did he hear of these Appalachian treasures than he promised to join Utina in war against the two potentates of the mountains. Malua, well pleased, promised that each of Utina's vassal chiefs should requite their French allies with a heap of gold and silver two feet high. Thus, while Laudonniere stood pledged to Satoriona, Vasseur made alliance with his mortal enemy. On his return he passed a night in the lodge of one of Satoriona's chiefs, who questioned him touching his dealings with the Timagoas. Vasseur replied that he had set upon them and put them to utter rout. But as the chief, Seeming as yet unsatisfied, continued his inquiries. The sergeant, Francois de Lacaille, drew his sword, and, like Falstaff, reenacted his deeds of valor, 
pursuing and thrusting at the imaginary Timagoas as they fled before his fury. The chief, at length convinced, led the party to his lodge and entertained them with a decoction of the herb called Cassina. Saturiona, elated by Laudonniere's delusive promises of aid, had summoned his so-called vassals to war. Ten chiefs and some five hundred warriors had mustered at his call, and the forest was alive with their bivouacs. When all was ready, Saturiona reminded the French commander of his pledge and claimed its fulfillment, but got nothing but evasions in return. He stifled his rage and prepared to go without his fickle ally. A fire was kindled near the bank of the river, and two large vessels of water were placed beside it. Here Saturiona took his stand, while his chiefs crouched on the grass around him, and the savage visages of his five hundred warriors filled the outer circle. Their long hair garnished with feathers were covered with the heads and skins of wolves, cougars, bears, or eagles. Saturiona, looking towards the country of his enemy, distorted his features into a wild expression of rage and hate, then muttered to himself, then howled an invocation to his god, the sun, then besprinkled the assembly with water from one of the vessels, and turning the other upon the fire, suddenly quenched it. So, he cried, may the blood of our enemies be poured out, and their lives extinguished. And the concourse gave forth an explosion of responsive yells, till the shores resounded with the wolfish din. The rites over, they set out, and in a few days returned exulting, with thirteen prisoners and a number of scalps. These last were hung on a pole before the royal lodge, and when night came it brought with it a pandemonium of dancing and whooping, drumming and feasting. A notable scheme entered the brain of Laudonniere, resolved, cost what it might, to make a friend of Utina. He conceived it to be a stroke of policy to send back to him two of the prisoners. In the morning he sent a soldier to Satoriona to demand them. The astonished chief gave a fiat refusal, adding that he owed the French no favors, for they had shamefully broken faith with him. On this Laudonniere, at the head of twenty soldiers, proceeded to the Indian town, placed a guard at the opening of the great lodge, entered with his arquebusiers, and seated himself without ceremony in the highest place. Here, to show his displeasure, he remained in silence for half an hour. At length he spoke, renewing his demand. For some moments Saturiona made no reply. Then he coldly observed that the sight of so many armed men had frightened the prisoners away. Laudonniere grew peremptory. When the chief's son, Athor, went out and presently returned with the two Indians, whom the French led back to Fort Caroline. Saturiona, says Laudonniere, was wonderfully offended with his bravado, and bethought himself by all means how he might be revenged of us. He dissembled for the time, and presently sent three of his followers to the fort with a gift of pumpkins, though under this show of goodwill the outrage rankled in his breast, and he never forgave it. The French had been unfortunate in their dealings with the Indians. They had alienated old friends in vain attempts to make new ones. Vasseur, with the Swiss ensign Arlac, a sergeant and ten soldiers, went up the river early in September to carry back the two prisoners to Utina. 
Laudonniere declares that they sailed eighty leagues, which would have carried them far above Lake Monroe, but it is certain that his reckoning is grossly exaggerated. Their boat crawled up the hazy St. John's, no longer a broad lake-like expanse, but a narrow and tortuous stream, winding between swampy forests or through the vast savannah, a verdant sea of brushes and grass. At length they came to a village called Mayarqua, and thence with the help of their oars made their way to another cluster of wigwams, apparently on a branch of the main river. Here they found Utina himself, whom, prepossessed with ideas of feudality, they regarded as the suzerain of a host of subordinate lords and princes, ruling over the surrounding swamps and pine barrens. Utina gratefully received the two prisoners whom Laudonniere had sent to propitiate him, feasted the wonderful strangers, and invited them to join him on a raid against his rival, Potanu. Laudonniere had promised to join Saturiona against Utina, and Vasseur now promised to join Utina against Potanu, the hope of finding gold being in both cases the source of this impolitic compliance. Vasseur went back to Fort Caroline with five of the men, and left Arlac with the remaining five to fight the battles of Utina. The warriors mustered to the number of some two hundred, and the combined force of white men and red took up their march. The wilderness through which they passed has not yet quite lost its characteristic features, the bewildering monotony of the pine barrens, with their myriads of bare gray trunks and their canopy of perennial green, through which a scorching sun throws spots and streaks of yellow light. Here on an undergrowth of dwarf palmetto, and there on dry sands half hidden by tufted wire-grass, and dotted with the little mounds that mark the burrows of the gopher, or those oases in the desert, the hummocks, with their wild redundant vegetation, their entanglement of trees, bushes, and vines, their scent of flowers and song of birds, or the broad sunshine of the savannah, where they waded to the neck in grass, or the deep swamp, where out of the black and root-encumbered slough rise the huge buttress trunks of the southern cypress, the gray Spanish moss drooping from every bough and twig, wrapping its victims like a drapery of tattered cobwebs, and slowly draining away their life, for even plants devour each other and play their silent parts in the universal tragedy of nature. The Allies held their way through forest, savanna, and swamp, with Utina's Indians in the front, till they neared the hostile villages, when the modest warriors fell to the rear and yielded the post of honor to the Frenchmen. An open country lay before them, with rough fields of maize, beans, and pumpkins, and the palisades of an Indian town. Their approach was seen, and the warriors of Potanon swarmed out to meet them, but the sight of the bearded strangers, the flash and report of the firearms, and the fall of their foremost chief, shot through the brain by Arlac, filled them with consternation, and they fled within their defenses. Pursuers and pursued entered pell-mell together. The place was pillaged and burned, its inmates captured or killed, and the victors returned triumphant. End of chapter 4 Recording by James O'Connor Randolph, Massachusetts, July 2009